0: Welcome to Drinking With Visionaries, a podcast where we have nightcaps with daydreamers. My name is Trace Brady, and I will be your host. For our next episode, we'll be joined by Joseph May. Joseph is the former co-founder and chief visionary officer of Mira, and he is currently running for mayor of Los Angeles. And so without further ado, I present to you Drinking With Visionaries, episode two. Joseph, what's on your mind these days?
1: Um, something that's been on my mind in past hour is I've been working on a design for a bus rapid transit station um, because the city of Madison is walking on a new BRT line. It's going to be the first real major transit line, and they've opened up a competition to design the station, and I've been walking today. Instead of my walk. I actually should be doing, I've been walking on a, a submission part. What
0: are you so supposed uh, to be doing?
1: Um, So my day job, which I am leaving in two weeks, is I work for a company called Epic that makes electronic medical record software. And a couple of different projects that I work on, but one of the major ones, is leading the implementation of electronic case reporting for COVID for hospitals around the country. So basically, it's at the beginning of the pandemic, when hospitals had to report COVID cases to the public health agencies, they were faxing them. And obviously that takes a lot of time to do and is not the most efficient process. So it's working on, there's a, a standard called electronic case reporting. Um, been working with the CDC to get hospitals to move over from faxing them to electronic case reporting.
0: All right. So you say you're, you're leaving your, that job in two weeks? Yes, yes I am. And what are you doing instead? I'm going to be running
1: for mayor of Los Angeles.
0: All right, cool. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> what what spawned that that goal has it always been something that you've strived for and just recently realized or is it a very new thing
1: yeah so i never planned to run from mayor of los angeles but i've always since like i was a really young kid been really passionate about housing And like, you know, when I was maybe six, eight years old, I would wake up all in the morning, not to watch cartoons, but to watch HGTV. And I had like a play development construction company. And right now in Los Angeles, there's a housing crisis going on. And there's a major shortage of housing units. And politicians have been kind of looking at this issue for decades and not doing anything that helps solve it. And it's like, this is something that I care about a huge amount and I know how to solve it. So it's like, why not try and solve it?
0: So you say it started at like six or seven, this, this passion for housing. Do you have any idea where that came from? Was it a a parent that instilled this love in you or just something that woke you up inside? No
1: clue. I just like from as young as I can remember. I remember watching HGTV, right? Like I know the first thing I want to be when I grew up was an astronaut, and then at some point in the the next couple of years. I kind of jumped down to a bunch of different like entrepreneurial things. So I had a uh, Desorts Ahoy, which was like a baking company that I wanted to start. I had a Maymarsh, which was my development it was that's Maymarsh building and construction that I like drew signs for and was like looking at leases for, you know, this is like as a really young kid. Um, and, you know, that was, that was probably like beginning of law school, then I really got into like tech and inventions, wanted to be an inventor got more into computer science. And in middle school, I learned about augmented reality. I read this book called Damon by Daniel Soares. And then there's also a sequel called Freedom TM. And in this book, they have like, I don't remember what's been probably a decade since I've read this book, but they have like AR headsets or AR contacts or something. And just like that idea just stuck with me and fascinated me. It's like, I want to make this real. And I remember like, maybe a year after I read that book, like Google Glass was announced and I got really excited about Google Glass. And then like a couple of years later, I was at a hackathon and I like tried it and it like sucked, right? And I was like, this is, you know, one of the richest companies in the world and this is the tech they're developing. Like, meanwhile, through all this time, like I'm thinking of of ways of how you develop this technology, like what you need, what components a headset would have. Google's not approaching this correctly at all. And, you know, there's a lot of different minor players that are doing interesting things, but like everything at that time in that industry is just super disappointing. Like, you know, you compare the experience of like consumer technology, you know, you had the iPhone kind of coming out like around the time I was in middle school. That kind of set the bar and just like, yeah, sure, the research devices, are specialty industrial devices, but they're just like had such a poor experience. And it's like, there's, there's such better ways to do this. And that was just something that for a while I was fascinated with. And then freshman year of college, I like really focused on that area. I did some research, uh, and I uh, took a graduate level optics class. Somehow, I'm very really good at talking my way into things. Like somehow, as a freshman in college, talked my way into graduate level optical class. knew zero of the math going into it. Taught myself the math I needed during winter break, going into the uh, spring semester and was able to like pass the class. And I started playing around with prototypes of, uh, there was this concept that people were talking a lot about at the time, which was light field displays. Um, a company called Magic Leap was raising, it was like the billion dollar round or at a valuation of a billion dollars uh, for light field technology. There was a lot of people talking about that. And I had like an idea of a much simpler, cheaper, designed for light field headset, light field display. So I started like working on development for that. I like putting myself in situations where I have one way out and it's like, I either succeed or fail, except I'll do that for really dumb situations where I don't have control over. Um, And so like my freshman year, like I applied to a single internship, which was Magic Leap. So working on light field display. They also were based in my hometown which is really funny cause like I was obsessed about this tech in like high school and I didn't know literally a five minute walk from my house was the headquarters of, of, what in a couple of years was a billion dollar company in, in this space. And you know, I didn't even get an interview anyway. So I had no idea what I was going to do. And I just was crashing on my friend's couch. And he mentioned that he was working for uh, his friend's startup that someone, they need an iOS developer. And it's like, I can do iOS. Meanwhile, I could not code iOS so I taught myself. So I got the summer job working for my friend's startup and that ended up becoming Mira, which today is a million dollar company.
0: And you're, you're no longer involved with them at all.
1: Yeah. I actually left the company the end of my junior year of, of college where was it the point where like the relationship between the founders was not good at that point. And that's like the number one thing that kills startups. And at a certain point, and I was not in the the winning side of of that power struggle. And as at some point I was like either I push to stay part of this company and have a real risk of just killing the company or I leave. So that's what I decided to do.
0: Uh, While you're telling your story, I was thinking about your tendency to put all of your eggs in one basket and then scrap and claw your way out because you have no other choice. Would you consider Mira as like one of the the times where things, where that backfired? Or do you have any regrets? Or are you still uh, putting all your eggs in one basket these days? Well, I don't think
1: Mira was ever really putting all of my eggs in one basket. Because like, one of the, one of the interesting things is like we never dropped out of college. Like we raised a seed round from Sequoia without dropping out of college, mm-hmm. which I think is a bit more common now. But at that time, like if you would had a serious thought, if you dropped out of college, but you know we were able to do that. So that wasn't really a situation where all all my eggs were one basket. Now it's definitely something where like I based at that time, like I based my entire self-worth and my entire like conception of myself around the startup because it was like the cool thing that everybody knew knew about me. And like leaving that was devastating because it completely, it was like, this is what my identity is built around and what is my identity now that I don't have that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like giving up a child for adoption or something, mm-hmm. um, it was just like, it was heartbreaking. Um, but. I, I don't think that was really one of the all all the eggs in one basket situations.
0: Who were some of your biggest inspirations in doing all of this? Whether it was wanting to be an astronaut or go into computer science or building a startup, Who are some of your your biggest inspirations? And more specifically, who are some of the visionaries that you look up to?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think my inspirations then were maybe different than my inspirations now. Of course, um, and there's also another another side of that is the people that like I'm inspired by by their actions, but I don't necessarily think they were good people. And I feel like there's a lot of people where like I'm really inspired by how they took really bold, ambitious actions and how that paid off and how they were able to accomplish those. But then in a contemporary framework, their their system of morals was really terrible. You know, probably at that time, I'm trying to think of who it was, like Steve Jobs, right? I rolled my eyes at people who said that their hero was Steve Jobs, but he definitely inspired a lot of what I did. There was this guy who, for some reason, I was really interested in him. I don't even remember his name any longer, but he did the courier project at Microsoft that got canceled. Um, I don't even remember what else he did. But I remember at that time really finding him really interesting. I feel like there must have been people right, who that I, I really you know, wanted to emulate at least. But I can't recall who any of them are right now, to be honest.
0: Um, I find it interesting because I used to really idolize a lot of people, but as I get older and as I get to know myself better and my skills better, I stopped idolizing people so much. You know, I don't, I don't put people up on pedestals anymore because I'm more comfortable with who I am now. And, and I don't need to close the gap between where I am and where they were or are. Uh, so I find that interesting because I, I don't know if you asked me uh, if I would be able to tell you, you know, who I look up to these days either. You know, I have some people that I admire their work And want to adopt certain aspects of their work in mine, or or steal certain styles, or you know, little things like that. But yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have any heroes anymore.
1: Yeah, I think, I think the people that I find most interesting these days are people who are very different than me, right? Like, especially living people, I can learn from whatever. They're they're people who have interesting ideas that are not necessarily in the same line. that I think is where, where the most interesting learnings come from.
0: When you say different than you, different in what ways?
1: I guess different ways of approaching the world, different upbringing, bringings, different backgrounds.
0: Care to elaborate?
1: Um, another thing is also like different strengths and weaknesses where there's people I hugely admire, but like, I know I could never emulate their style of walk. So like John D Rockefeller, for example someone a great example where it's like they were brilliant and did amazing things and also did really terrible things but like he his walk ethic and his ability to focus on details and know every single detail of what was going on was just you know unlike almost anything else you know my brain doesn't walk that way right like i won't say i'm not a detailed oriented person because i do obsess about details too it's interesting i, I walk like between layers I, I zoom in and i zoom out but i can't do that through line of detailed and and of the the minutia especially the boring details that like he was able to but i find it amazing you know seeing someone who can do that
0: hmm yeah, you know, I, I don't consider myself a visionary and, and you've said something similar whenever you reached out to me, but I am really interested in these big ideas. And that's why I wanted to talk to people that I consider visionaries. And in my experience, the people who are visionaries and are good at articulating this grand vision of, of how the status quo can be improved, they're often terrible at these Minute details, like either they, they don't notice them. They, they aren't good with managing them or they just disregard them all and surround themselves with people who do care about those things.
1: Yeah. That's something I've really learned a huge amount. And that was one of my big mistakes at Mia is like, they also want things I cannot do and as much as I want to be able to do them, I can't. And the key to being successful is to focus on your strengths and find people who are really good at things you are weak at. Agreed. You know, at the time when I was in college, like I wanted to think of myself as an engineer and think of myself as good at engineering. And I knew a lot of stuff about certain parts of optical engineering that like, I knew more than anyone I would be able to hire, but that didn't mean I was a good engineer I was not a good engineer. And I tried to do a lot of things myself that ended up just being a waste of time and we had to hire other people to do. And if I had upfront said, I understand this problem space very well. I understand the technology very well. I understand the trade-off very well, but I can't do the engineering walk. I think that, that things would, might, might've walked out better with me.
0: How did you go about unlearning these things or readjusting based on the failures or experiences that you had
1: i think it just got to a point where i got tired of fighting myself there's some type of work that i'm just not good at and there's certain just even daily tasks that like your average human can do confidently that i cannot do you know i have some things where i am you know in probably the 99 percentile but like cleaning my room is not one of them right like there's, there are, there are certain things that are just like really, really basic things that I really struggle with and it took me a while, but I got to the point where I stopped blaming myself. stopped viewing those as deficiencies or maybe they are deficiencies, but stopped viewing them as like a character flaw that I'm not walking hard enough to be able to achieve that and just accept that I need to focus on the things I'm good at and whatever reason it is, I just, i'm you know never going to i'm never going to be athletic right like as dumb as that is it's just like i i remember senior year of college i took a swimming class and like i can swim but like anything more than basic swimming i was just horrific at and i didn't really see myself improving either and that was funny. Maybe that was one of the turning points as dumb as that is, right? Is, is that swimming class is just like, okay, I can't do this. And that's okay. It's just not who I am.
0: That's been my experience as well. Um, I also struggle with certain things that most people would consider basic. You know, I struggle with uh, depression and anxiety a lot. You know, lately it's been all right, but sometimes I'll go months where i can't get out of bed before like 11 a.m which depending on who you ask is not that crazy but to some people who get up at five o'clock every single morning they're like you don't get up until 11 a.m that's insane so i understand getting down on yourself and, and beating yourself up because you can't do these things and sometimes you can get help you know like in my case i i got medication i started exercising a little bit more and these things are manageable now, but without them, I was beating myself up all the time and I just could not figure out why I couldn't function to the level of these other people who I was seeing in my space. And now I just accept it because I know there's no way to change it other than the things that are directly within my control, You know, like exercise, like eating right. And, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I'm the fittest person or the, the healthiest eater, but I know that that's within my reach at least. And I'm so much happier for it. And I help other people do the same thing because they always have that story in their head that if I can't do this, then I'm not worthy. I'm not uh, lovable. I can never achieve my dreams or whatever. So yeah, I really relate to that. And I think it'd be interesting to see how our heroes or these visionaries who we prop up on pedestals, in what ways they struggle too. You
1: know, it's it's interesting. I think we touched on earlier Steve Jobs, right? Mm -hmm. He's someone who is well known for his character flaws. And there's interesting, there's that clubhouse room. I don't know if you heard about it the other day where there's a bunch of people who, it was on Steve Jobs' birthday, there's a bunch of people who walked with Steve Jobs uh-huh. Especially. And it was interesting listening to that is a lot of the stories they are telling that they are like telling is these endearing stories about Steve Jobs who was a person, they made Steve Jobs sound abusive, right? Like the stories they're telling were not a good reflection of Steve Jobs. But they, they took a, like, they are all of their holistic pictures of Steve Jobs is very positive and they took these as kind of a reflection of, of who he was. And that was kind of just a pot of who he was. I think he's he's an example of someone who was like really massively flawed and he was in an environment where he was able to succeed despite those flaws, or maybe because of those flaws. I think a mistake a lot of people make is they try and emulate those flaws, thinking he was successful because of those, mm-hmm. not in spite of those. But I think, you know, I think that's that's an example. And I think you see really major character flaws in, in anyone who's been hugely successful.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's cause they're just in the spotlight more. And if you're in the spotlight more, those flaws are bound to come out one way or the other. So, what about now in your run for Los Angeles mayor, by the way, why Los Angeles, if you live in Madison?
1: Yeah, <laughs> good question. So, I went to college at university, of Southern California, and. I, you know, went into college being interested in housing and loving housing but my perception of what housing was and what mattered with housing, like it wasn't, I didn't think of housing as like a political thing at the point where I was entering college. And, you know, when I I got to Los Angeles, when I was living in Los Angeles, I quickly learned like how many things were affected by housing and how big of a problem with housing Los Angeles had and how many people's lives were just way more difficult than they need to be simply because there's not enough affordable housing. And like, the more I looked into the problem, the more that I saw it, was just completely a policy failure, right? It was years and years of politicians making just completely the wrong decisions, not understanding the underlying economics behind how housing works you know, basically a foundation that was designed to be segregationist, to separate black people and separate poor people away from the people who had power. And the kind of land use in Los Angeles was built on that idea. And still to today, it still, you know, a lot of things have changed, a lot of things have evolved, but it's still based on that framework. From decades and decades ago and kind okay, of going back to the original question, like why Los Angeles is because I know how to solve Los Angeles's problems. And I really love the city. I think it like Los Angeles is a major city. It's a major economic power in the U S but I think Los Angeles could be such a better city and such a more important city. If it just fixed some basic problems, if it just, has some areas that's just incredibly dysfunctional and those are solvable problems. And if these problems are solved, one is it's going to improve the quality of life for hundreds of thousands to millions of people, right? It is one of the biggest impact problems I can walk on. So it's a combination of just like being familiar with the city, loving the city, It having the major problem that needs to be addressed and I'm not seeing anyone addressing it. I'm seeing a lot of people doing bottom up walk, doing some really great, great engagements, some great, uh, grassroots walk to solve the problem. I'm not saying no one's working on a huge amount of people working on the problem, Mm -hmm. but there's no top down leadership to get the problem solved. So it's like, if no one's walking on it from, from the top down, like why don't I try and do that.
0: So your plan is to meet the the bottom up people halfway?
1: That's part of it. You know, I think it's, it's, it's about inspiring, like a lot of people, vast majority of people in LA want cheaper housing and want better housing. They don't want to be stuck in traffic all the time. They want the homeless off the street and housed. You know, these are things that everybody wants, but people don't really think of them as political issues, people don't know that there are issues that the local government could solve, and there's not a lot of political activism. So it's less about meeting the people who are, who are doing the, the walk halfway. It's about getting a lot more people to be aware and energized about the issue and getting them to join and to get a popular push to get these policies changed.
0: That's kind of what i meant when I said meet them halfway because you were, <laughs> you were, you were using the, you know, bottom up, uh, approach and the, the top down approach. And you know, what I was trying to say, just saying it poorly is they need somebody to step up into that top position and then meet them in the middle instead of them doing 100% of the work themselves. So what is your, your strategy in getting elected?
1: Yeah. So let's kind of start with like looking at who I am and where I am. So I'm a 25 year old living in Wisconsin. Let's start with that, right? No one has ever heard of me and the general political establishment through political processes is obviously not going to take me seriously. I have good ideas and a good platform, but I'm not expecting to rely on just that because there's a lot of people who have good ideas. It doesn't necessarily mean they go anywhere my kind of main approach for the campaign is one is to make a lot of noise right to do things that get people's attention i was reading today about elon musk when he was trying to get a nasa bid like 2004 2005 something around there this was four or five years before space was successfully able to launch a rocket he took a rocket prototype they had, put it on a giant truck and like played around Washington DC, took it to the Air and Space Museum and gave a speech in the stairs of the Air and Space Museum, right? It's about like finding ways of just getting a lot of attention and making a lot of noise. That's one thing.
0: Could you could you tell me a little bit more about how you're planning on making a lot of noise?
1: Yeah. Um let me let me get to that in a second. Let's say the other approach and then they'll, contextualize this some more. Is another approach is kind of building a new coalition, getting people who are not politically active, who are not politically engaged currently, and focusing on, on younger people to get interested in these issues and interested in the campaign. And also giving them agency, like get, letting them be an active part of the campaign. They're not just knocking on doors. They're actually doing things that make a real difference. So it's kind of the top down approach of making a lot of noise and the bottom up approach of building a completely new coalition focused on, on younger people. So like the type of thing for, for the top down is, so something I'm, I'm working on where uh, we'll see if this happens, cause this is kind of a, a big planning risk because it can only happen if like COVID rates are near zero by the end of the summer, but. I've been betting for a while that COVID rates are going to be near zero at the end of the summer. And I'm hopeful that that still looks like it's going to be the case, uh, is doing large scale concerts in Los Angeles. And I kind of have a concept. We'll see if I can execute on this. That sort of a completely different format to a, a normal concert that I'm, I'm kind of prototyping right now. And Something really interesting is the city has a six to one matching policy for small dollar, dollar donations. So if you can raise like $20, $30 donations from a bunch of people that can become hundreds of thousands of dollars. So what I'm, I'm basically doing, and this is, this gets attention, brings people into campaign and raises funds is host large scale concerts. I think there's a huge amount of pent up demand people when they can go out and do social things are going to really want to go out and do social things, um, host these concerts and bring in a huge amount of money from the, the matching to the donation of the ticket prices.
0: How will you be covering all of your costs if the ticket sales are going towards donations?
1: So the thing is, they'll be donating to the campaign when they buy the tickets, and then I'll be immediately spending 100% of that money on putting on the ship.
0: Right, so you'll just be getting a percentage of that, or no?
1: The like a hundred percent it's going campaign, and then the campaign is spending a hundred percent of that money producing the show.
0: So so uh, it's, it's really it's and, it's a way to raise awareness, but not fund your campaign.
1: No, because in like nine months down the line, less than nine months, six months, I don't know, when the matching funds come in the campaign gets six times that amount of the ticket sales from the city gotcha. because they do a six to one match.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, I was just a little confused on, on the, yeah, the model it's, of that.
1: No, it's, it's a confusing model. It's really cool that the city does that because it makes it possible for people who don't necessarily have a, a big fundraising base to be able to raise a lot of money. And I'm also going to be raising money the traditional way doing dinners and, and that jazz. Um, I'm not against big dollar donations. I think kind of the prejudice against them is somewhat dumb because like I i am going to listen way more to someone who making a $50 donation is a major financial sacrifice than someone who's, you know, got is, the money. has millions of dollars and can spend a thousand dollars on a dinner without thinking about it. Right. Right. So I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not going to turn down the thousand dollars or not pursue that just because it's, you know, viewed as that could skew my influence. I I don't necessarily, I I don't really buy that argument, but that was an end of a sentence that (laughs) was not the proper way to end a sentence.
0: It's funny because, uh, my voice, like inflection is totally different on these podcasts. Like there's times where I'm like, I would never in a million years say it like that, but because I'm being (laughs) recorded, I freak out, I guess
1: yeah i'm I'm imagining I'm going to have to do hundreds of podcasts uh-huh. over the next uh, year and a half. This is my first one. I'm excited. I also hate how my voice sounds recorded. Fine. Okay, good.
0: <laughs> so i've I have two questions. One is about books that you've read or are reading to get a better idea of how to move forward. And I'll let you go ahead and answer that before I ask the next one. We could talk a lot about the books.
1: Yeah, so I'll I'll name three books. Two I'm in the middle of. One I finished a couple of years ago. And they're all arguably about social uh, 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 psychopaths, but uh, don't judge me based on that. (laughs) So one is Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World. Great book. Yeah, amazing book. Love Uh, it. It's maybe made me into a Genghis Khan apologist, which is not necessarily a good thing. I think it gave a bit of a one-sided account of him, but one of the best nonfiction books I've ever read. The second one is the Rockefeller biography. I forget who wrote it, but there's one good Rockefeller biography and it's that one. And that one, that's really interesting. Another Another person who, I think I mentioned him already, but that's another one, mostly finished up. that. The third one that's the most relevant is Power Broker.
0: Power Broker by Robert... Uh, Tarot. Tarot, yeah. Yes, about Robert Moses. And are there um, any specific lessons from those books that you've found useful so far?
1: Power Broker is really interesting because it kind of has two purposes that are are like useful to know along from. One is, like, everything I'm trying to undo are things he did, right? Like, even though he never, I don't even know, I'm sure I was going to say he's never set foot in Los Angeles. I'm sure he's set foot in Los Angeles, but he never did anything politically in Los Angeles. Like, his influence for planning and his way of doing things is a huge reason why Los Angeles is the way it is today. So that's, that's one aspect of it. But the other way is... You know, a lot of the political moves he did were just pure evil, but beyond that, the more basic stuff, the legislative writing, the way he he, he made deals work, brought them together, how he got really ambitious projects off the ground, even when there wasn't complete support for them, all of that's just like incredibly useful to learn because you need to be able to do those things to really enact change. You need to do it in a way that you're listening to the community and you're not steamrolling people and you're not destroying people's lives. But I think, you know, a lot of the late 20th century, early 21st century, a lot of the failings are as a result of governments putting in place too much restrictive processes as a reaction to the steamrolling of everything from that era.
0: One of the things Robert Moses did was make the bridges, like he constructed new yeah. bridges and made too them- Too short
1: for buses, yes.
0: Right, so people in poorer communities couldn't make it to certain areas of the city because they were too short for buses to go under. Um, he a was question.
1: a real asshole. He's a real oh, evil oh, person. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, if anything, you can use him as, as like an inverted mental model of what not to do. Yes, but, 100%. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, I I mentioned earlier that I had two questions, and uh, that concludes the answer to the first one, although I have many more questions about the books because I could talk about those for days. The second question was, are you planning on moving to L.A. for the duration of your campaign, and will you stay there for the rest of the, the time?
1: Um, Yes, of course. Uh, It's interesting. They have a five month residency requirement. So I legally need to be in Los Angeles five months before the election. But obviously, I'm not going to be able to run a very effective campaign, not in Los Angeles. So I'm planning on probably selling my house in Wisconsin and moving there at some point in the summer. Depends on when I can get a COVID vaccine. Of course I'd have to fly out to Los Angeles in two weeks because I need to open a bank account and no bank will open the bank account remotely, but um, I'm trying to be relatively safe. So uh, yeah, I will be 100% moving to Los Angeles.
0: I was thinking while I was pondering that question, I think I read from Machiavelli that, you know, kings that are trying to conquer new territories have to be there. Otherwise they're, they're going to be less effective in running their campaigns and they can easily be, be toppled if their, their physical presence isn't holding everything together. And I know you're, you're not trying to be Machiavelli. I was gonna say,
1: I disagree with that characteristic that I am a king trying to conquer a new territory, but... Uh, it's,
0: it's just a metaphor that I use, but you know, obviously these are two different things. And I think metaphors really matter in terms of how they influence our lives. Because if we think in terms of war, we're going to make wartime decisions, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So I, I try to to as much as possible steer away from using war as an analogy, but oftentimes it's the one within reach. So I talk a lot about kings and, and conquering territory. No, I don't. I
1: don't think of this campaign as a wall as a battle. When I know who my competition is, right? Like if the yeah. serious competition. That might change but you know i think of it more of like a startup that Mm -hmm. i'm taking something that is broken that people put up with because they don't know anything else and i'm offering an alternative you know it might be you can kind of think of it like the model bottom-up disruption where i'm clearly don't have all the pieces in place right now to run a political campaign at the level of, of some of these established politicians but I'm sort of the cheaper product and the more interesting product and I can very quickly I can become I can can get to the level of competency and and feature parity way faster than they can get to the quality that I have.
0: I think that's a much healthier way of looking at it. Do you have a plan on how you're going to go about building your credibility as a 25 year old running for mayor.
1: There's two things. One is, is writing like policy reports, focused on housing initially, and I'll probably do another one on on homelessness, another one on transportation, and I think those will establish credibility in terms of like the level of wonkiness that I can get into, right? like the level of policy detail and my understanding of the the intricate details of housing policy is going to show that I'm not a Complete idiot, right? So, I think I'm not saying it's going to establish credibility, but that's going to serve as a foundation of, of building some trust. And I think another another thing is just like, I'm going to be very honest, right? Like, you know, I saw this conversation, like, when talking about me running for my, uh, like, I'm 25 year old, I'm currently living in Wisconsin. Like, there's no reason to trust me up front. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to build the trust. And I need to put in the work, like I'm asking people to trust me on like a short-term basis, right? Like trust me with individual actions. And then I'll either prove myself worthy of that trust or, or I will. And I think that's the only way to, to build trust and, and build credibility when you don't have a background. And I know a lot of people aren't going to be willing to do that initially, but I'm hoping enough people are to be able to get to a place where. I can be taken seriously and and build kind of a higher level of trust with a lot more people.
0: Mm -hmm. Would you consider yourself a introvert or extrovert? And if you are an introvert, which I am assuming you are, if you're interested in computer science and all these things that we've talked about already, do you think that would be a a hindrance in any way?
1: So this is an interesting question. People often, Will identify with like being externally an extrovert, but really being internally an introvert, right? You hear that a lot. I'm the opposite. I'm externally an introvert. Like, I'm pretty shy. I'm not always great in social s- situations, but like, I crave social interaction and I love to be in crowds and I love being surrounded by people, which is kind of a, a rare combination. It was kind of funny in, in colleges, I had a roommate who was the exact opposite. He was like the most social person. If you wanted to be the any of the top frats would have would have accepted him easily. And he just wanted to stay in his room and make music, right? And he was an amazing musician. I was very lucky as his roommate got to hear, hear a lot of music. He didn't even release a lot of this music, right? He, he could have been on a minor stage in Coachella probably he had that level of talent, but just didn't release his music. because He just wanted to make it for his own, his own enjoyment. But I was I was the opposite, right? Like I am not necessarily the most social person in terms of like how I engage with conversation, how I engage with people. I'm shy. I've, I've sometimes a difficulty approaching people, but like, I love to be in crowds. I, I love talking to people I've had to just push through the like shyness to be able to reach out to people, you know, to ask people like for help on things that like, I don't necessarily feel like I deserve the help, but like, it's just like, you need, you need to be able to do that. It's amazing how much, just like, if you ask someone how often they'll, they'll be willing to help. You know, one thing right now that I've been procrastinating on is like, I'm going to Los Angeles in two weeks is I'd rather, if I can, I'm going to try and find someone's couch to crash on. I have not texted any of my friends in Los Angeles yet asking them <laughs> if they have a couch to crash on, just because like, I'm embarrassed to like, ask people for something, as dumb as that is. So that's exactly. definitely something that I need to push through and need to overcome to, to be able to be successful in this election.
0: Yeah, I, I struggle with that too, mainly because I don't want to be a burden on anybody. And I know from past experience that I can figure it out on my own but that's not the point. The point isn't to do everything yourself just to prove that you can. It's to kind of shortcut the process and get there faster and with more support just by reaching out and asking for help because it's exponential in a way. You know, like each time you make a connection with these people, and I don't know about you, but I personally like helping people. Yeah. So, so really the most fun you can have is helping someone, right? So by not asking for certain people's help, we're really being selfish by depriving them of an opportunity to help somebody, you know, as long as, as long as you're not being a burden, like I said, and, uh, you know, taking up all of their time or, or asking for a, a huge loan when they're not an angel investor or something.
1: I've not gone to the point of asking people for money yet. That's going to be interesting because it's not something I'm used to doing.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I I was just thinking about in terms of, you know, asking your grandma or something for $5,000 when all she lives on is her pension. I'm talking about that sort of thing. Whenever you're you're running for mayor and it's a requirement to, to raise money, then I don't see any problem with that. You know, personally, I love helping people when I can. So every time that I hesitate to ask for help now, I remind myself gently that you know i'm really doing both of us a favor by soliciting their help but anyway let's let's say everything goes according to plan and in a year and a half you're elected mayor of los angeles what is your goal beyond that i'm curious to to see if you've thought even further ahead
1: like like, kind of like four years later, after I'm no longer mayor, or eight years later, I don't, I don't know if I'd run for a second term. I feel like I would, I could see myself putting myself on the ballot for a second term and then not not running a campaign at all. And just like, if you want to elect me second term, you can, but I'm not gonna campaign for it. I don't like the whole idea of like being a politician and being actively fundraising. My guess is if I win, I get to that point, I might do that anyway, because that's usually what happens. But like, okay, so my long-term ambitions are definitely not in politics, right? Like I don't wanna be involved in the game of politics. I think one of the reasons why I'm doing this is because it seems like an opportunity to potentially be able to get to a position where I can have real influence without playing the typical politics game. You know, one one potential potential thing is just like helping other cities around the country and around the world solve their, their issues, you know, cities are dealing with similar issues to Los Angeles or even other issues. I've been debating how much I want to put into this because um, it's sort of a distraction the campaign, but I want to start like an organization alongside the campaign to act as sort of an R&D organization, help develop policies and prototype and sort of MVP out different things to help make cities better. So like I have right now, i brilliant college student I'm working with who's is working to prototype uh, housing for the homeless. And like, I wanna make, do that in a lot more areas and, and make that that more formal. So I could see maybe, you know, if I get elected then after leaving office, I could see maybe expanding that, helping other cities expand and, and do things. I, I mean, I have a million different directions I could go, go into I have a million things I'm interested in. So I don't know, running for mayor was not in my life plan. Mm-hmm. I, I had made the decision kind of when planning, kind of looking at my values and planning out my life, I was like, I don't want to be in the spotlight. I want to be the person behind the scenes doing things, but I don't want to be the person like, you know, galvanizing for a cause. Like that's, you know, that's not me. I'm not like an outspoken person. And of course, I'm throwing that all away and doing that anyway. So I don't know, I don't know like where I'm going to end up going. Ultimately, I want to make moves that improve the long term survivability of earth life and humans. Mm-hmm. I think that's very important. So, and and that's something that I think good functioning cities are important to enable. But that also plays into climate change and biodiversity and, and a million other things. And reduce suffering, right? Like those are my two like goals in life. It's just reduce general suffering or or like unnecessary unpleasantness people have to deal with in their lives and long-term survival of humans in off-life. And you know, I'll I'll do what I think is best suited for achieving those goals given what I'm good at and what I'm not good at.
0: You ever heard of that that story where there's a fisherman talking to a businessman and the, the businessman is asking the fisherman, what's stopping you from hiring more people and selling more fish and then you can move into the city and get into new markets and build this entire empire and then retire and go back to what you're doing now and he's like why would I do that because I'm living the life that I want to right now And I think it's a a good lesson, but the thing that I thought about years after hearing this story for the first time is what the fisherman is missing is that in the process of building that, that fishing empire and moving into those new markets and moving to the city is that he'll help feed thousands or maybe millions more people if he goes that route like it's it's more selfish right to to just do the thing that the fisherman wanted to do all along and sit on the beach with his wife and go fishing for a couple of hours and then retire for the night but by doing the other thing he serves more people and contributes to a bigger picture
1: i don't i don't know if i agree agree with that takeaway i'm very much of the persuasion that like people should be as ambitious or not ambitious as they want to be and as they feel comfortable being. Um, There's the rare person that's just like not very ambitious, but just has amazing skills and you're like shaking them like, why are you not using these skills to help better the world type of thing? But for the most part, it's like what I care about, there are plenty of ambitious people in the world. There's Mm -hmm. a whole lot of people who are directing the ambition in the complete wrong places, right? a whole lot of people that are like, have a huge amount of talent, a huge amount of ambition and they are using that to you know try and become a partner at McKinsey. There's also a lot of people that have a lot of ambitious a lot of ambition and a lot of talent and because of their circumstances because they're black or because of the neighborhood they grew up in, they don't have access to the opportunities to be able to to use that ambition. But there's also people that just want to live a quiet life and I think the a lot of people use the, oh, I'm doing good, I'm saving the world, whatever, as excuses to justify their ambition. And I don't think that should be used as an excuse to push people who don't want to be ambitious in a certain way to to do that. You know, let people be as ambitious or unambitious as they want to be. And that's another thing is like, like when people are, are debating like, you know, socialism versus capitalism, which I don't necessarily think those two things are at odds with each other. But, you know, people talk about, sometimes a a pro-capitalist argument is like, you know, people will be lazy without incentives. I do think incentives are really important for making things work and, and for encouraging change. But at the same time, like, if someone wants to be lazy, I think we as a society have enough wealth and have enough power to improve things and to build things that like people who want to make art or people who want to just like spend their time thinking or people who want to play video games like there should be a place for that. If you think of kind of long term in like a completely post scarcity society, I don't think everybody needs to be doing some uh, something super ambitious. And like I'm someone who's super ambitious, but you know going back to to what we were talking about earlier, like you know some things. I'm not the on things like I'm not able to do. And I'm sure a lot of people just like, ambition is just not something they're interested in. And I think that's part of who they are. And I think that should be accepted.
0: Oh yeah, 100%. That was such a good answer. I hadn't planned on bringing that story up and I'm sure I even butchered it a little bit because <laughs> I, I hadn't thought about it in years, but something that you said made me think about that little anecdote and uh my thought about it was just something that i had thought about in passing you know so i hadn't really given it the time that it deserved to really scrutinize why i thought that and i still think that you know one okay first of all i agree with you that there should be a space for everybody and nobody should be forced to be or do more than uh they want to be you know if they're happy you know, sitting on the beach and, and fishing for an hour a day and then eating with their wife and retiring for the night. You know, I think that should be fine. I, you know, and I wasn't in any way trying to shame those people because like you said, that's just not in some people's nature. And some people genuinely want just a really peaceful, quiet, simple life. And there's nothing at all wrong with that. I was just thinking in terms of the bigger picture, like one is clearly providing more value to more people, but that doesn't mean that that person has less value or more value, right? Like I wouldn't I wouldn't value a millionaire's life over someone who makes $50,000 a year. Like they're both humans and they're both equally valuable. I was just thinking in in, in the bigger picture, but you brought up a lot of good points. So I appreciate that.
1: It's funny is only on the conversation, you know, was talking about like my college roommate who was an amazing musician and just was not interested in like pursuing that. And I was kind of talking negative about that, but it's like, he's, it's ultimately he does music. He makes music because it's something he enjoys doing. He does has no desire to be famous. So that's a decision he's made. And, you know, I yeah. shouldn't, find anything wrong with that decision. Although I do really enjoy his music and sort of wish more people got to hard some of the songs he made.
0: There's definitely a middle ground because like I, I don't think people should, let me, let me back up a second. People should by all means practice whatever creative thing that they want to do and not care whatsoever about other people seeing it or interacting with it. But also I think it's a real tragedy when someone as talented as this person keeps it to themselves. So I think there's a middle ground. I mean, there's obviously a middle ground where you can either partner with somebody who's willing to do that part of the work, even if they take credit for it. For instance, you know, Meatloaf. Are, are you familiar with the singer Meatloaf? I've heard of him, but I don't know okay. anything about him. This is a terrible example, because but it's just the first person that popped in my head. He had a, a writing partner and his partner would write all of the music, and then Meatloaf would perform and take mm-hmm. all the credit. And this was a perfectly symbiotic relationship because that's what they wanted. So, you know, like maybe your friend, and, and this is just one example, maybe your friend could partner with somebody who wants to perform and market themselves and uh, put it out in the world without uh, having a care in the world about mm-hmm being famous, um... but but even the thing
1: is, if, if you're like a really good musician, you're putting music out that even if someone else is the face, yes, you can avoid a lot of the, like, you know, having fans running after you and paparazzi and all that. But like, if you are making music that has an impact on a lot of people that changes who you are and changes your interaction with people. And someone needs to be willing to make that sacrifice. Right, Like, it's almost an issue of consent. It is tragic, right? When someone, it does something amazing, like, does does amazing art. You know, I think something that is kind of nice is the artist that, like, walks, you know, is amazingly prolific, doesn't release any of the walk, and then after they die, you know, they get, you know, like, Jane Austen
0: type of thing, right? Or, or Van Gogh, you know, sold one painting his entire life, and now he's revered through the ages, but yeah. I think that's a good place to stop, but I want to give you 60 seconds to let the people know where people can find you, how they can help you.
1: Yeah. So I am running from mayor of Los Angeles. My platform is to make housing affordable for everybody to get the homeless house and to solve traffic. I know these are problems that are solvable with the right approaches. And I believe it's possible because people really care about rent. That's really important. And this will have a transformative impact on on little literally millions of lives. I would love anybody to donate to my campaign. If you are living in Los Angeles, any donation, I don't remember the exact cutoff, but around $120, the city will match it six times. So that's really helpful. Anything anyone can donate, that's great anybody in los angeles that's interested in learning more you can always reach out to me on twitter i'm may underscore or underscore may not my email address is josephpmay at gmail.com it's j-o-s-e-p-h-p-m-a-y at gmail.com it's
0: been such a pleasure talking to you and if you're up for it maybe we can do this again sometime yeah once i'm mayor once you're mayor yeah (laughs) i'll hold you to it sounds good (laughs) We'll have a good one thank you so much yeah you too bye Bye.